You're listening to Mystery of 2012, a Sounds True podcast. Episode number eight, The Mystery of 2012, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Unconscious Evolution. This week, I interview leading futurist Barbara Marks Hubbard. Barbara explains that we are currently in a time where the thinking field of humanity, what Teilhard de Chardin called the noosphere, is in the process of opening its eyes. Or, in other words, that the process of evolution is becoming conscious of itself. Barbara, we've been recording a series of interviews with various authors and experts about the mystery of 2012. And some of the people we've been talking to pin this date of transformation specifically to December 21st, 2012. And other people have said things like, you know, come on, this is a wave of evolution covering decades. It's almost a joke to think that there's suddenly going to be a huge shift from the 21st of December 2012 to the 22nd of December 2012. Get real. So I'm curious, what's your view about this date that has been pinpointed December 21st, 2012? There are several ways of looking at it. One is the amazing perception of the Mayans and their galactic understanding of solar systems and the way the universe works and coming up with that date. That's one way of looking at it. The way I look at it is that it's obvious that we're going into a radical breakdown. And my intuition is that we're therefore capable of a radical breakthrough and that the shift points in evolution is called punctuated equilibrium, that when you come to this degree of non-equilibrium, and there are new forces emerging and connecting, there does come a moment that's very quick when the new system emerges. One example is the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's so interesting. There's the cocoon. There's the, evidently, the imaginal cells start to emerge within the body of the caterpillar, and they proliferate, and the caterpillar immune system destroys them, but they proliferate and they resonate and they evidently connect to a point where there is a very rapid jump to the butterfly. In fact, that period is called instar. It's so quick. Is it possible that we are at the point of radical metamorphosis? And the reason I think it's possible that it's going to show up is that the communication systems, the networking systems, the noosphere, the thinking layer of Earth is connecting very, very rapidly. And we don't know what stage of connectivity makes it possible for there to be a collective awakening. But you know, we've seen moments, we saw it in 9-11, we saw it in Katrina, we've seen it in times when suddenly the world's paying attention. I think we are at such a moment, and I also know that shared intention creates reality. The very fact that so many people are aiming at December 21st, 22nd, 2012, is the universal force of creation intending something, and therefore it's more likely to happen. 
So I personally say let's focus our intention on making a shift of consciousness, creativity, and capacity such that we can notice it happened December 22nd, 2012, whatever the prophecy said. But don't you think there's a, a danger that if a huge change from caterpillar to butterfly doesn't happen on December 22nd or even by the first quarter of 2013, that people will go, oh, you know, yeah, what a big joke, like Y2K or some other date that was chosen for transformation. And, you know, this whole transformation game is a bunch of ethereal people who will believe anything. Well, there are a lot greater worries I would have than that. I mean, the greater worry is that we could have a collapse of our life support system quickly. That's a shocker. It's much more shocking than maybe a prediction didn't work. It's really shocking when you look at the collective breakdown of the system. And I think that that crisis is just beginning to dawn on the average mind. Al Gore did a huge amount in that direction, global warming, the financial collapse. People are stunned and shocked right now. I don't mean that we've solved every problem or we've had a, a total change in our species, but I'm seeing it as a shift point. There's a lot of talk about shift in action. Well, it gets accumulative, and the more we focus on it, the better our chances of making a shift in time to avoid radical collapse. And anybody who is just a doubter, I would say, let's join our intention whether we doubt or not. Because joining your intention, you have a better chance of having a collective creative solution than by doubting. So I'm joining my intention, let's say, to this shift. What exactly am I intending, and what will this new butterfly, if you will, look like in 2013? I would say you're intending several things at the same time. One is that the creative emerging breakthroughs, solutions, what's working, gets connected so we can see that we actually have capacities to meet our current crises and can move forward, like a newborn baby can breathe and can open its eyes. It's not solving everything, but you can imagine that we have enough creative capacities in new energy, in new economic systems, in new consciousness itself, to connect that and connecting the positive in a immediately quick and nonlinear way can make a difference. Secondly, I feel that the individual human that each of us is has an extended purpose, has a greater creative expression, and that there will be the calling forth of our creativity joining so that you would feel that whatever is inside you that's wanting to be expressed is actually needed. And through the Internet and other systems in cyberspace, perhaps you've had a chance to find out your greater creativity, your greater teammates, where you're needed. I mean, I've just heard in the Obama pre-president moment that he has asked all his supporters to put on Internet their vision for the future of the United States. 
Now, that's an amazing reality right there. This could mean millions of people stating a vision today, coming to a point of focused attention. I imagine that my vision and your vision and other people's visions gets connected and we have an actual chance to open the possibilities that we hold in our heart but don't dare think are real. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned this term that I'm really interested in, the noosphere, our collective knowing. And I've heard you use this phrase that the noosphere is about to open its collective eyes. And I'm curious, first of all, if I can get a better understanding of what the noosphere is. Let's just start there. The noosphere is the thinking layer of Earth. It comes from Teilhard de Chardin. You can see we've had the geosphere, which is the Earth. We've had the hydrosphere, the waters of the Earth. We've had the biosphere, which was a creation in time of the whole natural world. And within the biosphere, humans emerged and began with language. And language is outside the genetic code, outside the biological world. Languages began to create time-binding, ever-increased learning, ever-increased knowledge. We have all our systems, all our religions, all our art, all our culture is becoming a planetary resource. Now we're getting the communication systems. Google is connecting up all the knowledge of the world. You can ask a question, somebody has an answer. That is an amazing fact. And within this noosphere or thinking layer of Earth, we have these radical new powers of technology, biotechnology, nanotechnology, robotics, increase our lifespan, increase our intelligence, increase our living space from this Earth into solar system. The noosphere is a superorganism of radical powers, and it is growing without us absolutely observing it. You know, it's only a short while ago we realized we have a biosphere and that it's a linked living system. We're now just at the threshold of noticing we have a thinking layer, a mind-created layer of radical powers that can destroy life on Earth or can solve every problem and evolve us. So the noosphere, or the thinking, intelligent consciousness, technologically, electronically connected field, is about to link up so we could be aware of our collective intelligence. Okay, so let's just pause a second. Because honestly, I mean, I would love it if right now today, Barbara, I can understand the noosphere. Because I, I really don't. And so see if you can help me here. When I think of this collective knowing, language, books, information, technology, I can't quite make the step that this is a living organism. I see it as artifacts, as what humans have thought and created. But how is it alive on its own? That's the part I don't get. I mean, the geosphere, obviously, it's alive on its own. I can follow that. Do you mean it will grow, it will change? But all of these knowledge systems are dependent on human beings coming up with new interfaces, new... Con right? I mean, how does this exist on its oh, own? I didn't say it existed on its own. Okay. I think it's being created, actually, through the biosphere and through the human sphere as an extended capacity that has the tendency to greater connectivity. 
and it is dependent not only on humans but on the biosphere, which is dependent on the hydrosphere and the geosphere. And I'd like to add a thought here, Tammy, that there are materialist-based scientists who've seen the whole universe as inanimate, getting greater complexity without a sense of direction until consciousness emerged as an epiphenomenon of complex matter. There's another thought that consciousness is prime and matter arises up out of consciousness and that as matter becomes more complex, as in the human brain and now in the human culture, that we are becoming ever more aware of the more fundamental creative consciousness of universal intelligence and that the whole universe itself is alive not just us or the biosphere and that we're part of a vast universal intelligence that's creating more intelligence through us right now so then knowledge though this collective field of knowledge is alive and changing through its relationship with human beings who are thinking and having new discoveries and making new connections. Yes, that is really the essence of conscious evolution. The noosphere, the thinking layer, grew naturally as language grew, as consciousness grew, as communications grew. We didn't say, now we're going to create a noosphere. It just started to grow, just like the biosphere did. The bacteria didn't say, now we're going to create a biosphere. They did their thing, and the biosphere became a connected living field. And only recently have we even known we have a biosphere. So the noosphere is being created unconsciously. The shift I'm speaking of in conscious evolution is to become conscious that we're creating it and conscious that it is connecting. There's just no doubt. I was reading an article recently of um, Kevin Kelly, who was talking about the superorganism becoming like one collective mind. I don't believe that that's the way it's going to go. But there are many computer geniuses who see that if you get billions and billions of computers connecting and solving problems and radically evolving their own intelligence that it goes out of human hands. I don't know. But I know that if I prefer that the noosphere is a collective intelligence that is connecting us heart with heart, center with center, such that it becomes a field of ever greater connectivity, love and creativity, it is like the incarnation of the divine in the collective. So just to stick with this noosphere for another minute, if all humans were wiped out by some you know, huge disaster, would there be a noosphere? I think there would be the remnants of it probably in the Akashic field, like they say, in the recorded intelligence of the universe. But I think if all human life were wiped out, unless there was some other species that came into planet Earth and resurrected through our libraries or through our books or through our churches, like we do in archaeology when we find the fossils and we try to imagine what the very earliest human was like, if we get wiped out, it's possible if there is other life in the universe, they could come in and try to imagine a species that could create this. 
But I don't think it would keep on being a living entity of ever-increasing intelligence. So when I use the word the noosphere is getting its collective eyes, I don't mean it's a biological organism. But I do mean that it is an intelligent field that's connected, that's being created by humans, and that has so much power that if it's misused, it can create nuclear holocaust. Mm -hmm. It can destroy its own environment, or it can restore the earth, free us from poverty and scarcity, and explore the greater aspect of the solar system and the human spirit. That's the noospheric power, and we've got it. Mm -hmm. And what it means to get its collective eyes is that we become aware that this noosphere exists and that we can tap into it for collective good? It's not just tap into it. Tammy, you're asking really good questions here. I feel personally that I am like a cell, not just in a biological planetary body, but I'm a cell that has extended intelligence, extended space, extended communications capabilities, that I am a member of the noosphere right now talking with you. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Okay, so this idea that we're in the midst of going from evolution to conscious evolution... What I'm curious about, Barbara, is, is there a moment when this process began that we started moving, in your view, from evolution to conscious evolution? I think like any one of these great advances, it's problematic to say exactly when it began. I think the signal began when Einstein discovered the nature of the atomic world, E equals MC squared, and we built the atomic bombs and we dropped the bombs on Japan. That was the signal that the human mind has understood enough about how nature works to be able to create technologies out of that that have such radical destructive or creative power that if we don't change our consciousness, we'll destroy ourselves. And a lot of people started to wake up and then I think conscious evolution took a next step in the 60s with the Apollo program when we saw ourselves from space as one living body. There was a huge wake-up of the fact that we have to protect and care for that environment. That was new. We really didn't know that. And at the same time, more cosmic consciousness started to be created. And women woke up to the fact that we have an identity beyond wife and mother, and the whole feminist movement awoke. That's conscious evolution. The peace movements, the civil rights movements, the futurist movement, all in the 60s and 70s, these vast movements of collective awareness began to realize they have roots, of course, in, in much of human history, but because we began to see it's one planetary body, and then the environmental news started to come in. You can destroy your whole life support system if you keep up. So then people said, well, what do we do about that? And when you look at the nation state or even the United Nations, you see the difficulty of those structures dealing with this complexity. Mm 
So then you have people moving outside of existing authorities. All of this is conscious evolution. And I believe that it's experienced spiritually as your own spiritual connection with the source of creation. Like you, Tammy, wanting to do all of Sounds True and everything that you've done is an inner motivation that I relate to the core of the spiral of evolution. My desire to be an evolutionary communicator is really part of the spiritual evolution of our species. And then our desire to create social systems that are more compassionate, more creative, that create more equity. That's conscious evolution there. And then you have adding to it scientific and technological evolution giving us radical new powers, all of that together leads to the evolution of evolution. And as Tom Attlee says, I am the face of evolution. I am evolution itself. Evolution is subjective in me. This is the way evolution shows up as a person. But now, of course, before Einstein and the discovery of the atom bomb, there have been people who would have considered themselves, maybe they didn't have the language for it, but conscious evolutionaries. Yes, I agree. I think it has a very long heritage. And I think it in the spiritual tradition, very much in the tradition of the early Christians, of Christianity itself, that began to imagine in history a radical transformation. And there were people who actually foresaw that there would be a new consciousness, a new body, a new world, many worlds in space. That has had a long tradition. When technology and science entered into that picture in the last 100 years and speeded up very much so in the last 50 years with powers that actually are disruptive of life itself, such as nuclear power. But if you add the whole biotechnology revolution, and I got introduced to this through Jonas Salk, and I remember he once took me to some laboratory, and there on the wall was the message, stamp out physical death. Stamp out physical death. All right, there are people working on actually overcoming aging itself. Then if you actually look at the radical increase in intelligence and you see it approaching a singularity, you realize the speed up has gone exponential. And that's why we're at a time of either radical breakdown or radical breakthrough. We actually can't sustain this state as it is and survive. You mentioned this term uh, singularity. Can you explain what that means? It's made well-known recently in the book by Ray Kurzweil called The Singularity is Near. And he thinks it will be really in the next 30 to 40 years. And the way he has described it, it is the radical exponential increase of intelligence through computers such that it gets billions of times quicker in certain dimensions than human intelligence. And that intelligence is self-evolving. It's intelligent enough to evolve itself, 
Now, I'm not saying it's human life or that it has consciousness or soul or spirit or feelings, but it surely has intelligence. Now, he calls that, that it gets so intelligent that we are, in a way, creating our own successors. We're creating something transhuman. If you add to that the biological revolution that's wanting to create new life forms, extended life, and you add the space revolution of being able to live in space as well as on Earth, and many other such technologies, like nanotechnology, building atom by atom like nature does, you have here the shift from the creature-human condition to the co-creative human condition. That is to say, we're so creative with the powers of understanding how nature works that if we don't become conscious, morally, ethically, wisely, using those powers, we self-destruct. That's the wake-up call of conscious evolution. Why this term singularity? I mean, singular one, I don't get that. Singularity in that it's something that we have never seen before. It's a radical newness. And life would be a singularity in that sense. If you had never seen life and you were an overextended macromolecule, it would be a surprise that you're not just getting bigger and bigger as a molecule. Oh, you're life. You have sentience. You see, animal life out of single cells, multicellular life, was a singularity unexpected by the state that preceded it. So a singularity for humans now is a state unexpected and not the same as doing more and more of what we've been doing. It takes us a jump. And it's very frightening to people because the jump can go in the wrong direction. But we already see the jump can go towards environmental collapse. So I'm saying, all right, since we've seen that whenever nature hits even mass extinctions like the dinosaurs, that innovations and creative solutions create newness. So I'm saying, since we're facing mass extinction of ourselves as well as other species, let's look for innovation, transformation, and social synergy because that's the pattern of nature and might as well get with it rather than just being scared of it. But in relationship to the idea of computers and technology increasing at an accelerated rate its intelligence. Is the idea here that there would be like robots who are able to relate like beings? Is, is that what we're talking about? No. That might happen, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's like taking one strand of it and saying that's what it's all about. We already have robots, and we're going to have robotic intelligence, and we're going to probably send robots out beyond the solar system into the galaxy. And there is an odd thought here that I think most people don't like to hear, but some scientists say carbon-based life itself is a phase of evolution. Okay, okay, what that does is that mean? to say our biological bodies, and gradually assuming that we're going to live in the solar system and the galaxy, who knows what kind of body will be created for the intelligence that can do that. And you go into what used to be called science fiction, but it's almost science fact now. What hasn't happened, Tammy, is that this radical increase in intelligence and technology 
is connected to the radical spiritual awareness of the source of creation joining and connecting in resonance through our hearts. And I don't want to look at just one strand of this. I don't think it's enough just to connect through the hearts without the increased technological intelligence. We have to see the thing as a whole to catch a glimpse of the mystery of 2012 and beyond. I've heard you talk about a new species, a radical new species that we can become. I think you call it mutants, a certain kind of mutation. What will this new species look like that takes into account all of the different factors you're talking about, this heart opening and the technological capacities, everything? I don't know. We haven't seen ever a model of a universal species. That's not to say that they don't exist. But it's almost like a baby in the womb or even a newborn baby hasn't opened its eyes to see what it's going to grow up to be because it's not fully connected through its nervous system. Here's my intuition, that until we get more connected through our hearts, through our consciousness, and through our collective nervous system, communication systems, and feel that heart connection. We're too aggressive, too dissonant, too separated to catch a glimpse of what we're becoming. It's just like in the birth image of a newborn baby. If the newborn baby never coordinates enough in its nervous system to breathe and open its eyes, it won't know what it's becoming. I think we don't really know what we're becoming until that collective nervous system and collective consciousness awakens. So when I say the noosphere is about to get its collective eyes, I really mean that this emerging universal co-creative humanity is about to become self-aware. But some of us know we're homo universalis. Like I feel... Tammy, like a very new, very young, universal human. By that I mean I feel connected to the heart, to the whole of life. I feel I'm being awakened by the whole process of creation, not just my own personal spiritual awareness, but by cosmogenesis. I feel my body is already coated with billions of years of evolution behind me, and that my motivation to express and create is evolution expressing as me. And many people I know are already very young universal humans. However, we haven't seen universal humanity. We haven't seen what we would be like as a whole, and that's what I think is coming. Do you think there's some percentage of humans that need to have this awakening as universal humans for us to consider that we have universal humanity. I mean, Barbara, when I listen to you, I have no doubt that your experiences of yourself as a universal human, and I think other people, if they met you, would have the same experience. But you're also considered a rare human being, a futurist, someone who's been studying this material for a long time, a spiritual practitioner. How many universal humans do we need before we have universal <laughs> humanity? I don't know, but I do know from my work studying with Paul Ray that he estimates 33% of adults 
in the industrialized democracies, the U.S., Europe, Japan, other countries that are developed in that way, are already shifting in values. He calls it cultural creativity, not even just cultural creatives. And cultural creativity is awakening to a shift in lifestyle, an awakening of internal spirituality, a sense of empathy and concern for the planet as well as for your own tribe or people. You know what, Tammy? This is much wider spread. This is not about being a special futurist anymore. And I don't think it ever was that. I think that there have been many of us all along. But there are more and more people awakening to the interconnectivity, to the desire to create, to the crisis we're facing, and to the possibility. What I don't think we have yet is connectivity or a vision of what's emergent. And if I have any contribution to make right now, because there are many, many millions of people awakening, would be as an elder of this movement to say we have within our power to connect what's emergent and creative and we're on our way to do it and we're just about to open our collective eyes and to see our creative capacity and when we do it is glorious i can say that because i know i'm not special at all well you know i keep meeting probably like you more and more people who have a deep feeling for what it might mean to be a universal human. Mm -hmm. But as a skeptic and a doubter, the question I keep asking is just, is that enough humans to really make a shift on a collective level? Because if I'm truthful, I also keep meeting all kinds of people who, as you mentioned, are quite aggressive and divisive. You know, what I think the best answer to that is that there is a tendency in nature at a time of crisis to create greater synergy, connectivity, consciousness, and freedom. That's a tendency, not an inevitability. And because we've hit the age of conscious, choiceful evolution, I don't think there is a guarantee here, Tammy. I don't think I would be so sort of aroused at almost 80 years old along with everybody else who's aroused, if I thought it was inevitable. I think it actually depends on us. And I think like the work you're doing to get more and more people who are of this intelligence, of this heart space, communicating each uniquely in their own way. This is not a single worldview. It's not a single religion. It is a worldview, however. It's a worldview of sacred evolution. It's a worldview of evolutionary faith, there is no guarantee here. There's no guarantee when any baby is being born. There's no guarantee that planet Earth will make it with this species that we are. It's open, but there's a tendency toward it. And so I don't think it's about convincing skeptics so much as attracting anyone who feels more connected and more creative to join in consciousness, it's working by attraction, not by trying to persuade people. Mm -hmm. Barbara, it's so amazing to me that you're almost 80. You sound <laughs> fabulous. And I'm curious, you know, you've been doing this work now, I'm sure, for four or five decades. Yes. 
four or five decades ago when you looked forward and you started hearing, I mean, I met you during Harmonic Convergence in 1987, mm-hmm. 20 plus years ago. In the last 20, 30 years, what's occurred or not occurred that you thought would happen previously? If you can dial back 20, 30 mm-hmm. years ago, what you thought would happen leading up to 2012, has it happened? Has it not happened? Very good question. See, I had five children during the 50s, and I woke up to this set of possibilities in the early 60s. And I woke up by reading Teilhard de Chardin, Abraham Maslow, Buckminster Fuller, Sri Aurobindo, seeing the space program, seeing Earth from space, recognizing in myself a desire to express, and so forth. At that time, there was a radical hopefulness, along with all these movements to stop war and to emancipate the feminine. There was radical hopefulness. And I thought it would be much quicker. I remember Buckminster Fuller saying in the 60s, I believe, we're on a viability test, and the next 10 years are going to make a difference. It didn't turn out that way. And the thing that was shocking to me after 84 when I ran for vice president and proposed a peace room as sophisticated as a war room to map, track, and connect what's working. After 84, that period of radical hopefulness and movements hit a kind of barrier, and the next level of problem showed up. Both the conservatives, the ethnic hostilities, even though the communist empire collapsed, it revealed all the ethnic hatred, and all the violence inherent in us, and then the environmental collapse scenario coming on us this quickly has deepened the danger and problems of evolution more than I foresaw, and many of us foresaw at that time. However, what's happened, let's say between 84 and the early 21st century, is a maturing of the people who woke up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. The recognition of personal self-evolution, all the spiritual and personal growth paths that people have been on, the beginnings of more mature social innovations, trying to understand how the system works, how could we have a better open currency system, how could we educate. The new social forms were not ready in the 60s and 70s. In the 21st century, the new social forms are slightly more mature. The problems are much more obvious. And maybe what's needed is the waking up of our collective intelligence through our collective crisis of the life support system. Mm -hmm. So the change has been slower than you thought. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of people felt really disappointed and turned inward or turned against and felt hopeless. A lot of people feel that now. And sometimes I ask myself, why do I feel even more energized? Well, that's that tapping into the core of the spiral as your own expression, but it feels like the force is within us. And I feel like I'm with a higher power, as they say, but it's not just a higher personal power, it's a higher evolutionary potential. 
and that the energy that I feel as a person is just not personal to me. It's the energy of creation localized in each person. Makes sense to me. I want to end on a kind of wild question, if that's okay, because I've heard you talk about higher beings and, of course, uh, humans going out into space, but even this potential, as described by some Mayan calendar experts, of our galactic alignment and a, a sense of connecting with the greater galaxy, potentially meeting beings from outer space. And I'm curious to know both your own intuitive sense of this and if you've had any experiences that would go into the category of connecting or meeting with beings from outer space. I'll tell you, when I had what I call the planetary birth experience in the 60s, and I got into the perspective of being an astronaut and then also feeling myself to be a member of planet Earth, and I felt the Earth actually struggling to coordinate. I felt the pain throughout the whole, and then I felt a kind of opening of the heart, many things that are actually happening now. And when I got to this moment of the synchronization of consciousness and our social systems, massive planetary social connectivity and consciousness, I felt like the planet itself became a living organism and we opened our collective eyes and I felt that we were attracting to us the higher beings that had been seen by individuals or small groups, the gods, the extraterrestrials, the UFOs, were all little flashes but never shared experience. I feel intuitively that when we get to a collective resonance among ourselves that will open our collective awareness and that we are not alone in the universe. I've not had direct experience of sun gods or extraterrestrials, but I feel intuitively that we're literally being born into a universe filled with life, but we won't know it directly if we don't resonate mature and open our collective eyes. Now, 